0: We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance. But no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the Whoop Podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At Whoop, we measure the body 24-7, and provide analytics to our members to help improve performance. This includes strain, recovery, and sleep. Our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world to Navy SEALs to fitness enthusiasts to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among WHOOP members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? We're launching a podcast to dig deeper. We'll interview experts and industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the Whoop podcast.
1: It's making our young athletes understand what their sleep looks like, what their recovery looks like. Um, what, their, what, a, what a day on the field looks like when they're fielding ground balls, taking BP, running sprints, doing work in the weight room, and understanding what load really means versus just trying to say, hey, I went four for four tonight, and, and that was a hard game.
0: How are we doing, everyone? Today on the podcast, we've got Brandon McDaniel. Director of Athletic Development and Performance Science for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Brandon's methods and philosophies have helped guide the Dodgers to six straight National League West Division titles and back-to-back World Series appearances. That's pretty damn good in professional sports. This is a unique podcast in that the Dodgers are a client of ours at WHOOP, And Brandon has been willing to come on and actually talk about how he uses Whoop data to improve the Dodgers organization. So overall, I think it's pretty fascinating. This is definitely going to be interesting for uh, Whoop users who are trying to get more out of their data, and especially those of you who are baseball fans or fans of professional sports. Brandon and I discuss his background and rise through the Dodgers organization, how they assess new players and determine which training techniques will have success, and why it's so important to develop programs based on each individual athlete's needs. We go into everything about how Brandon uses Whoop with his players at different levels, why he feels it's essential they make a choice to use it on their own, and the various pieces of advice he gives to the players when they are in the red on game day. I really hope you enjoy this. Brandon shares a lot on training, recovery, nutrition, travel tips. I think everyone's going to find it useful. Brandon called in from spring training with the Dodgers. So apologies for some of the subpar sound quality. We did the best we could with it. Here's Brandon. Brandon, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no
1: problem. Thanks for having
0: me. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so in 2011, you start as a minor league strength coach uh, at the LA Dodgers, and now you're the director of athletic development and performance science for the entire organization. So that's, that's quite an eight-year run. Uh, last two years, obviously, you guys went to the World Series, and congratulations on that. I guess talk to me a little bit about those early days in 2011. You joined this organization. Did you expect to uh, be overseeing the whole thing?
1: Uh, you know, it's, uh, eight years, seems like about eight weeks as fast as this went. And, <laughs> um, I, you know, I was very fortunate in 2011, I was working for, uh, athletes performance now exos as a strength coach in the military. And before that I'd worked in baseball and, you know, I just had extreme passion for it and wanted to get back into the game. Like I caught myself in the mirror a couple of times in the weight room in the military doing like pitching mechanics and hitting mechanics. So I knew it was I knew I was going to get back in, or wanted to get back in. Very fortunate at the time that Sue Balsoni, uh was hired as the head trainer for the Los Angeles Dodgers. She was the vice president for Exos at the time, and she decided to to bring me over and and be the Triple A strength coach and help kind of implement you know AP's philosophy methodology into the Dodgers. And so you know I think it gave me a little bit of a Of a head start having an understanding of what they were trying to do and what the global vision was but i never envisioned you know in in october of 2011 when i accepted this job that in 2019 that you know i'd be as you know be where i'm at personally but more importantly like the success that that i've been able to be a part of with the organization is is totally exceeded my expectations
0: well, it's amazing, man. you guys have won six straight national league west titles uh, you've made to two consecutive world Series it's been a great run I think one of the best runs in baseball today you know how how have you tried to train your athletes? what is your methodology
1: yeah I think uh, I think the one thing that i've probably changed the most over time or, or really bought into is this individualized approach to each athlete. Um, and, and so, you know, there's some staples that I believe that everybody should be able to do from a movement standpoint, everybody should be able to squat. They should be able to lunge. They should be able to hip hinge. They should be able to move their, you know, their upper body and all planes of motion, upper body pull, upper body push, horizontal, vertical, uh, circumduct, all of those things. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, it, it's really the diagnostic standpoint that I take a lot of pride in. That if you walked in to our weight room at the Major League side, you would be able to see that, you know, all the athletes look like they're doing very, very similar stuff, but it's all tailored to them. And all the way down to the Dominican, that's the goal is to make sure that that you could walk in and say that's a Dodger program, that's a Dodger workout or methodology, but we've tailored that to 16- to 18-year-old Latin American kids. And, you know, from a conditioning standpoint, I think it's one of the things that has been um, taken for granted for in baseball because everybody says that, you know, it's just a sprint sport and you don't need to have anything but speed, conditioning, and and endurance really isn't important. But, boy, it's a long season, And, and if you don't have any endurance, if you don't have any aerobic base buildup, it's really hard to recover from, from night to night, week to week, month to month. And if you're, you know, if you're as fortunate as we've been season to season, then we have a short off season. So we, we've got to kind of stay in shape. There's no time to get into shape.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, that makes a lot of sense. And the, the personalization that you're referring to is a very whoop mindset. I mean, when I was a college athlete, one of the notions that I rejected was the concept that you know, the whole team would train hard on Monday and then train hard on Tuesday and then taper on Wednesday and then peak for Thursday. You know what I mean? Um, And I think we're seeing this now more in professional sports, this idea of personalization, and it's making its way to college and and beyond. Clearly, you've built it into your organization, which I think is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I I think that um, you look at basketball, you look at hockey, and you look at the numbers that that they have to deal with or even in even in uh, the nfl they have 53 guys on you know on the active roster and some more on the practice squad 250 to 300 athletes in our organization so you know we have to take it on on a macro level like a college um, but i feel like that that our staff and, the, and what we've developed here over time we've really taken on the micro inside of that macro which is which in my opinion is Has put us in a good position to put our athletes in a really good position to be successful physically.
0: So walk me through this. Like I'm, um, I'm a minor league player. You guys just picked me up. Uh, what's the process now, now that I'm a Dodger?
1: Yeah. I mean, it starts, uh, it starts with a simple conversation and uh, creating a relationship with the player, understanding why they're, why are they at this level? Let's say we trade for, we trade for somebody at the deadline or, are we, uh, you know, we draft somebody, whatever it, it might be. We got to know why you're here. Like, what made you really good? You know, are you a power guy? Are you, you know, you a high low fastball guy on, on the mound? Or are you more of a finesse pitcher? Or, you know, from a hitting standpoint, do you, you drive the ball to the opposite field? Or are we counting on you to hit 30 home runs for us? Uh, you know, and then it's understanding what what did you do from a physical preparation standpoint to get here? You know, were you a big weightlifter? Where did you go to a college that believed in the Big Three? And you guys bench press and deadlift and, and back squat quite a bit. And you already have an engine build up versus, you know, acquiring somebody that's maybe a little bit younger and and, and trying to decide. You know, we need to build. We need to put an engine in this guy. He's got a V4 right now. We need a V8 to support what we think he can do as a baseball player. And then from there, it's uh, it's you know movement screens and and understanding how these guys move from head to toe. You know, can they extend their toes and they, can they get pronation supination at the forearm level to, you know, that's a fine, baseball a fine motor movement skill. And and so understanding how all of those things play together. And then we take a look at the at the physical numbers and, and understand how they jump and how they run and how high they jump and how fast they run and, you know, are the mechanics off? Are you a really fast runner with a long backside that potentially over the course of a 162 game season plus playoffs plus spring training, that there's a potential you might go down with a hamstring strain. And and so trying to understand, A, you know, like an FMS or uh, a segmental movement screen and B, the global movement, how they how they run and how they rotate and, and how they jump. And we try to tie all of that together, let the athlete have a ton of say in what they do because we want them to own it. We want them to feel like they came up with their program and it makes sense to them. Obviously, we're, you know, some guys we – we lead them to the water a little bit more than than others that have maybe been around for a while, and then really it's about it's about paying attention to the game. And we have very little time with these guys in the off season and a time to quote unquote train. Um, so once we get them, it's it's now supporting and accommodating to those baseball moves that they need to be able to do on the field.
0: Well, you touched upon a lot of really interesting concepts there. I mean, the first concept was just around. Listening to your athletes and, and trying to have an understanding of where they're coming from, I'm curious uh, when it comes to the diagnostic test that you're referring to. How, uh, what exactly are you guys testing, and what um, how does that vary
1: by by position? Well, I mean you you take a look at uh, you take a look at a, a middle of the field player, a shortstop, a second baseman, a center fielder. Like they're going to be able to need to move. And they're going to need to be able to cover some range and, and be fast. So we'll, we'll we'll test them for speed. We'll test them for mobility to make sure that they can get in the positions to support the speed. We'll test them for strength, uh, whether that's you know a lower body strength movement or or even an upper body strength movement. Because I think there is some correlation and association there. with speed. And what what
0: speed test? Uh, it is. depends.
1: You know, it depends. I don't. I don't typically go into too much that we uh, that we we do. We feel like that's proprietary to us. But we, you know, it's pretty. You can read between the lines when I say we'll we'll take a look at how somebody accelerates, uh, and, and we'll take sure. a look at somebody's top end speed. And there's a lot of like, it's the major league level. We have a lot of ways to look at that because we can. Uh, we get information in game, not in game, but from the in game uh to kind of support what we're seeing uh, you know does the guy get a good jump on a baseball in center field and what top speed did he reach the guy that went from first to third uh you know did he did he reach his top end speed quick did he reach it slow did he hold it when he got there what was his efficiency when he was running and so it's not so much and and i think this is this is where it gets lost a lot of the times is you look at a combine and guys can run a 40, you put them on the field and they can't really, it's not accessible to them to show that speed. I want to know what the accessible speed is when they're on the field. And so for us, it's measuring a lot of in-game speed, a lot of uh, in-game movement qualities versus uh, understanding what they do during a pre-programmed diagnostic necessarily. We compare the two together.
0: You know, that's a really interesting point because – I've, I've seen this with athletes across other sports, too, where they've got very different efficiencies um, from a speed standpoint, depending on what they're doing. And your point about, like, an athlete being able to run a 40 fast but not being able to run quickly in certain s- situations on the field is totally true. Um, so it sounds like you guys have a good process for identifying that. Now, the in-game data, is that something where you're looking at video software to try to pull – uh, various speeds. They have, uh, you know, major league baseball uses Statcast. cast, uh, which is the, you know, the,
1: the, system that is, it's available to you whenever you're watching a game and you see a, an exit velo, or, you, you know, they say that Cody Bellinger runs 29.3 feet per second, whatever it might be like, that's the software that they're using, uh, to gather that. And there's, I mean, thousands of metrics that they gather every night like you're <laughs> you gotta you gotta have some idea where you're looking because you can get lost in a lot of data pretty quick
0: I, I totally agree with you uh, what what are um, what are some data points that you think are
1: overrated right now in baseball oh man I don't know I think there's a lot of hot topics uh, that are out there um, you know and I think that I think that Z low for a pitcher Uh, can be overrated at times. Like if you're trying to put the cart in front of a horse and say that below is the most important thing and you can't even throw a strike. Uh,
0: And just describe that
1: quickly for our audience who might be less familiar. Yeah, so just velocity, how hard they throw. Um, Because I've seen a a lot of players over the time that throw... You know, upper 90s and get hit around really well because they don't know where they're putting the ball or the characteristics of the ball. They don't, it doesn't spin the same way or it doesn't have the same shape or whatever it might be, aren't as adequate as maybe somebody who throws in the mid 90s or low 90s. And so I think that, you know, velocity is probably a conversation starter a lot of the times especially for players when they're getting drafted or or getting looked at to become acquired but how they pitch what you know what they're actually capable of doing uh think of tom brady tom brady was you know notoriously his combine was was almost laughable right and uh right and now look at him and so you know he is able to he possesses some qualities, both physically and mentally, in my opinion, that that allows him to compete on the field with, you know, the parameters that are set within with the offense that they run and the personnel that they have. And so it's about putting guys in in a position to succeed. From that standpoint, not just looking at these big physical characteristics and and trying to. Uh, Fit them into fit them on the team, or fit them into a model, or fit them into a position. And, and I think the weight room is a great example of that. but I really could care less how much somebody back squats, how much somebody deadlifts, whatever if I don't even really care what their yeah. vertical is. I care how they do it because these guys are here to play baseball. And again, they were really good. Now, nah, like, hey, we look and back squats really clean. It's really good. Front squat's really clean. It's really good, but we can add some strength to that, which might increase our size of our engine, which might increase this player's capacity on the field versus saying blanket, everybody needs to be able to back squat, you know, two times their body weight, deadlift, two times their body weight, bench press one and a half times the body weight, whatever it might be.
0: On the velocity side, I mean, I would consider myself a bit of an amateur when it comes to understanding baseball, but it seems to me from a, from just, like, maybe the last two decades, top speed for pitchers has gone up quite a bit. Like, I'm trying to think in the early 2000s or, or end of the 90s, like, I don't remember as many pitchers being able to pitch, like, 100 miles an hour. What, what do you attribute to that? Do you think that that's – like, people have gotten better at the mechanics? There's different um, – techniques from a strength standpoint or an agility standpoint or do you think people are paying more attention to velocity so that it's bubbling up more yeah i think that gets the four minute mile phenomenon
1: right like one guy broke four minutes and then six months later there was you know a ton of other guys that were able to do it and i think that it became the new norm in baseball to throw hard and it almost became uh, a reason to get drafted or acquired or to be put on a roster or whatever, uh, whatever you were looking at, and so I think I started training more for it. I think in the last 25 years, the last 30 years, uh, the strength and conditioning has become a, a much larger component of baseball, um, even in, in the 13 seasons that I've been around, um, you know. Baseball, baseball is really taken on strength and conditioning. So athletes are bigger, they are stronger, and they're working on throwing harder more often. So I think that that sounds like a pretty simple recipe to to increase velocity. Um, you know, Eric Kressy's written some really good posts on why he thinks velocity uh, has changed, and I think you throw a couple of those same variables in there with weightlifting and with size. Uh, and, and I think, and I don't don't quote me on this, but the uh, I think the average fastball velocity is up one mile over the last like 12 or 13 years, and and or yeah. maybe maybe to your point, maybe early 2000s. And uh, you look at that time, like that's when a lot of these things started to get implemented. And one mile per hour for an average, uh, statistically, to me sounds pretty significant. Uh, that 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 many people from that much harder over the course. Of the last, you know, decade, decade and a half, for that to jump up that much.
0: Yeah, and then it has interesting implications for hitters as well, right?
1: Yeah, it's uh, you have less time to make a decision, right? And and so there's, I even saw, you know, I've I've seen different things on changing the mound height to the distance or things like that uh, to make it probably to make it a little bit more uh, offensive. And, and the game to be a little bit more offensive so they, they have a better chance but yeah I mean you know, over the last 10 years or so like pitchers have had it seems like a pretty strong advantage now I will say on the other side of that that like hitting is, is definitely making some strides in, in that area as well and you, you read about swing changes and exit velo, how hard they hit the ball to bat or launch angle what you know what's, what's kind of the angle that's coming off the bat or the swing is meeting the ball uh, and so, you know, I think that hitting is uh, doing everything it can to to kind of catch up to that right now. But and and that too probably has a lot to do with the game and and who's watching it and why they're watching it. And for me, um, it's kind of like the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was a defensive struggle, or you could say it was offensively challenged, or, or you know, whatever way you want to look at it. I, I thought it was a really good football game. And uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll be like Trey Wingo here and and say that I was into it. That was a, that was a really good football game. And I think pitching too, like a one, nothing baseball game is beautiful or a two, one game. That's a beautiful baseball game in my opinion. Um, And I think, I think that typically we, you know, fans like to see more offense and more plays and and more reasons to uh, jump out of their seats versus, you know, a no-walk, nine-inning shutout, 85 pitches it, 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 to some could be boring. I, I look at that and say, like, that's
0: that's a masterpiece. I was actually at the Super Bowl this year, and I I, I enjoyed it as well. So I, I'm with you on, like, the hard grind from a fan standpoint, although I don't know if that's as mass market. Um, but I, I can appreciate how, from a statistical standpoint and from your point of view, like, why that's a sign that everyone's – executing at a really high level yeah yeah
1: um, I, I totally agree
0: so i want to talk for a minute about about whoop because we're proud to have uh, the dodgers as clients on the platform and i know you've been uh using the technology for quite some time so so tell me how you were
1: first introduced to whoop um yeah so we've uh, we've went around we've went about it a little bit uh different than probably a lot of organizations like i want my athletes to want to use this so, so our athletes have decided on their own, and this is at the minor league level, uh, to use uh, to use the technology. And so um, that way, that you know, when they put it on and when they hook it up to their phone, and they're diving into it. I don't want I don't want us I don't want to be the one that cares about it the most. And, and so you know, we were introduced to it, uh, you know, a few years back at the winter meetings with the study that was was produced. Uh, about recovery in baseball, and then you know, Jake came down here and, and gave us a demo and and you know we kind of dumped into, or jumped into it. and you know for us it's it's making people aware. Um, it's not gonna it's not gonna produce a lineup for us. It's not going to make decisions on a, on a higher level for us. It's making our young athletes understand what their sleep looks like, what their recovery looks like. Uh, what they what a what a day on the field looks like when they're fielding ground balls, taking BP, running sprints, doing work in the weight room, and understanding what load really means versus just trying to say, "Hey, I went four for four tonight, and and that was a hard game." Well,
0: you know, i, I appreciate um, I appreciate the fact that uh, you, you treat it as a voluntary thing. You know, so much for us and onboarding professional athletes on Whoop is making sure that they themselves get comfortable with the data. And I've always believed that athletes first should, should you know, see a reason to monitor this about themselves, like understanding your sleep, understanding your recovery, understanding the stress that you're putting on your body. That to me feels very fundamental if you're a professional athlete. So I think the way you rolled it out to me sounds really, really smart. And to the credit of the Dodgers, like, I've just noticed that you guys as an organization um, and I haven't I haven't actually worked as directly with you guys as as maybe I'd like, but I've just noticed from a distance that the Dodgers organization is very thoughtful about these things. like it seems like you have a forward thinking point of view on technology. I know you're doing like a technology accelerator there, although we haven't been involved in any of that. Um, and then you know clearly the organization's empowering people like yourself to, you know, to invest in technology and, and use it to, uh, to improve. So, you know, talk a little bit about how culturally that got, that, that's become important to you.
1: Yeah, I think it's with anything. Um, We want an organic environment around here. Um, It's very important that uh, we don't forget why we're here and, and why the players are here and why they got drafted or acquired Um, and and we're here to support them, especially on an athletic development side. Like we're, we're here to support those careers. So I never, I never want to walk in and tell somebody that I have the answer or one of our strength coaches has an answer or our sports scientist has an answer. Uh, we have a tool for you to support you, uh, in in becoming a baseball player. And I, I think across the board with our organization, Andrew Friedman, our president of baseball operations, uh, Jeff Kingston, our new vice president, Brandon Gomes, uh, you know, uh, director of player development. Like it's, uh, it's the same in every room, every department when you walk across here. That you know, you roll this out here, you get some uh, momentum going with it, and the players will take it and run with it. And we'll we'll learn more about it through letting them just kind of organically take it on. You know, jamming it down their throats saying so you need to wear this. This band, or you need to wear. You, know, you need to do a questionnaire for us every day, or we need to figure out your HRP or you need to do a vertical jump for us uh, to find out what your fatigue levels. Because then so they go, whoa, 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 what are you trying to do? Are you trying to uh, are you trying to get me better, or are you trying to point out the things that I don't do well? And so, and it takes a while. Don't get me wrong. When we changed the food for the Dodgers. Uh, back in 2015, Gabe Kapler, now the manager of the Phillies, like instrumental and in kind of taking what I said was my five-year plan and turned it into a five-week plan. Nice. And, and rolling out, like he, he had a way about him. And it takes time to change. Nobody likes change. You and I don't like change. Like um, it's it's hard and, it, and it's it's tough to understand. And so we just really feel like it's important that, that guys do things uh because they, they understand that they need it and they understand that they want it and they understand that they like it.
0: Well, you know, for, for our audience listening, like what you described, I imagine sounds very intuitive, but I have to say just for a second that it's actually quite unique. And um, I mean, whoop now works with um, tons of professional sports organizations. And so I've seen technology implemented in different ways and unfortunately, you have some organizations that have more of a like, hey, we pay you, you're going to do this attitude. And it's just, one, it's just bad for the culture, period. But two, it's a really bad way to implement anything new because then you don't have the buy-in from the athletes themselves. And those are ultimately the the individuals that you're trying to help, um, you know, perform at a higher level. So it's it seems so counterintuitive to to go about it any other way than, than what you're describing. And, you know, I won't name any organizations, but I'm sure that you've seen this throughout major league, you know, other areas of major league baseball or of course, across sports in general.
1: I think that um, I could give you 20 scenarios (laughs) early in my career where I did it. And uh, I call it my dusty toy box. Like I got a, I got a bunch of toys uh, tech toys that we've gotten over the years that are sitting in a box over in the corner that have been collecting dust because we didn't get buy-in the right way. And I think to the average listener too that works a full time job, that thinks about from their perspective, the way that they like to be talked to by their by their superiors, how they like to be viewed by their colleagues. We're trying to create the same environment here. Like these these are these are young men that this is a professional job this is their sport in the minor leagues it's a little bit more of a you know apprenticeship you're kind of learning learning what you need to do to get to the highest level Um, so there's a little bit more education down there but nobody nobody wants to be told what to do now on the other side I think I think all players and I think all humans thrive off of structure but I don't think structure and demands are necessarily the same thing And so we try to set up a really nice uh, structure for everything that we do. And then within that, the players kind of take it on. And, and so, you know, the band, for instance, like somebody might be, somebody might not be recovering because their workload score, their, their strength score is too high, or somebody might not be recovering because their sleep isn't as good. And so, you know, we're not necessarily uh, using it the same for everybody. Right. And, Smart. and and so, like we kind of find that out. And I think the second thing that a lot of organizations do, and again, I'll raise my hand and say I've been this way in the past too, is like, hey, let's do a study. Let's turn this into a study. Well, nobody wants. No player wants to be a. Go back to the first thing I said. Like we individualize everything. Like I don't necessarily want to create a study every time we get a new piece of technology or a new metric we're trying to track. I want to find out. Like we know this is important. Let's just find out where you're at on the spectrum. And then what's implemented from there.
0: Well, I like that a lot. So, OK, so I'm glad Whoop isn't one of the, the technologies collecting dust. And I love that you guys are obviously on the platform. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you'll, uh, you'll use the data. Like if a player has been on Whoop for a few weeks or maybe they're just early in the process and they, you know, will you have players come over and ask you about certain data points and how, how will you respond to that?
1: Yeah, so it's um, and this is true with anything, whether they're on move or not. It's uh, workload monitoring is has, has become very popular and uh, probably taken the wrong way too. Like, number one, we never want to tell a coach or a player that they can't do something. We just want to give them suggestions when they've done a lot or a little um, and, and about their potential kind of progression and regression with that. So. You know, for me, going back to the conversation piece, uh, a wood band is a conversation starter. Any 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 tracker should be a conversation starter with a coach, with a player, with a manager, with a trainer, whoever it might be. Say, "Hey, I'm not sleeping well. I did not sleep well last night." And no matter what, there's a game at seven o'clock that you've got to be ready for. And so, if we if we try to take you through a normal day and try to crush you on the field with a bunch of pregame work and don't pay attention to hydration, to nutrition, some things that potentially could have been affected because of that, because hormones get thrown off. And we've done you in-service, so it's, it's more of our, excuse me, an injustice. Uh, it's, it's probably uh, the first place that we look uh, to make sure that we build them up the correct way that day. So the sleep score becomes really effective for that. Or you're you're chugging along and you got a strain score of 14, 15 every day, and all of a sudden you throw a nineteen in there, right. a pretty significant jump, and and now like we know that you get two or three in a row, like now the body's going to be under risk whether you show it through, you know, getting a common cold, or you show it through being really sore, or you show it through getting a strain on on kind of the exposed area of your body that for you know, muscle strain, hamstring strain, quad, whatever it might be, and so paying attention to those strain scores, again, whether it's on loop or just a, a typical workload tracker uh, or even a, a wellness questionnaire, just want to make sure that we know what that looks like so there's not these huge peaks and valleys. We, we play a consistent sport every single day, and we want to make sure that we kind of keep a consistent workload across the, across the floor.
0: I always like to say you can only really, uh, manage what you measure. So your, your point about, you know, the data is one thing, but then figuring out, you know, it's sparking a conversation. I think that's a really good point of view. Like that's part of why I say that, that, you know, whoop can be empowering for coaches and trainers because now you just have more information to start conversations. And, um, And look, we don't try to be the coach, especially not at a professional level. We try to empower, you know, Brandon McDaniel to do his job. And so that's where I think your whole point about it it starting conversations is is uh, is spot on.
1: Yeah, I I just I feel like a lot of times that professional sports, especially everybody's trucking along looking for the answer, the one answer. And again, I've been guilty of that in the past. Like, oh, I got it. I got it figured out. It was just this. That's all we were missing. And then three weeks into it, you're extremely disappointed Uh, because a a lot of a lot of really good technology, a lot of really good training habits have been thrown out because they were probably implemented and they weren't, you know, they weren't uh, they weren't the right diagnosis and the right prescription for that athlete and so we threw we threw them all out versus saying wow that was a really good tactic we just picked the wrong guy for it but that would be a really good tactic for this guy
0: how do you manage the psychology of the data you know sometimes the data will say something maybe you don't want to hear right like okay today's a game day but whoop says i've got a red recovery or whoop says i didn't sleep well last night um you know, maybe it's noon and I come to you, Brandon, and I'm like, "Hey, uh, whoop says I'm run down. What should I do?"
1: Yeah, it's again. Like, what's the goal for the bank? What you know? What do we have that day? Is it, Are you playing tonight? Are you pitching tonight? Is it a workout day? Is it? Uh, I'm
0: playing tonight. It, let's play this done. out. What, what are you yeah. telling me to do? And
1: you're in, and you're you're playing tonight and you're in the red. Yeah. And have you been in the red for multiple days?
0: Uh, let's say yes.
1: Okay, so it's been a rough week, and how do you feel right now?
0: Uh, I feel, um, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic, coach, but I'm I'm a little tired.
1: Okay, and what did you what would you feel like last night after you get done with the game?
0: Uh, I was pretty tired, to be
1: honest. Okay, so a rough night of sleep for you?
0: Yeah, and that's what the data says.
1: Okay, good. Well, and so and uh, you know, I think it's really important to uh, to just double check with the athlete because there's sometimes that they're really good at lying to themselves or there's sometimes that you know they, they, they did fall off their wrist <laughs> or right. they uh, or the dog was in bed and, and somehow messed some things up I'm not saying that's happened with loop because it's connected to you but there's other sleep trackers i've used in the past and from there it's like all right the most important thing is seven o'clock you gotta have you ready for seven o'clock and so let's let's go through some strategies you're really sympathetic right now let's get let's get on a phone call for a little bit let's uh let's make sure we stay out of the hot tub let's let's get a little bit of light cardio in and try to wake the si- you know try to wake the system up you know how have your meals been today have you eaten already like, yeah i ate a bunch of carbs already okay like hormones are off you're gonna feel really hungry you're gonna feel like your blood sugar's off like let's get some good fat and you go get an avocado go get a little bit of a bacon and a little bit of carbs at the next meal or you know a chicken breast and some broccoli and a big piece of avocado. Let's try to stabilize you a little bit. Lay off the caffeine. I know you feel like you need to drink up a lot of it right now, but it's going to make you get really high and it's going to make you really get low and be careful with too much sugar. Okay. Yeah. Got it coach. That's great. All right. As we ramp up. All right. Take it easy. You take 20 ground balls every day. Yeah. Maybe look at taking 10. Okay. You take four or five rounds BP. Yeah. Well, once your swing feels good, let's get out of there before then. I don't want to, I don't want to put you in a position to fail tonight, but like when enough's enough, get out of there. And then when you come in after BP, take it easy. Okay. We don't, you don't need to be on your phone. You don't need to be tweeting. You don't need to be texting everybody like have a little bit of you time and, and, and try to try to rest a little bit. And then when it's time to ramp up about an hour, 45 minutes before the game, let's make sure we get some good carbohydrates in us. Let's get some good fat in there. So we stabilize that blood sugar and let's go through a nice active warm up. And I promise you, we're going to get through this thing.
0: Wow, I love that. I mean, there was a lot. There's a lot there to unpack. That was really interesting. So, the the first couple of things that you said, which um, which I like, so you talked about the idea of foam rolling and not doing any uh, hot tubs. So, uh, foam rolling. Why, why do you think that's important?
1: Because I think when you're sympathetic, like the best thing that we can do is get tone out of you, and and not necessarily trigger points, but just trying, almost like a massage of like trying right. to relax. And so when you're and when you don't sleep, you're going to become very, very, very sympathetic. You're going to overcompensate. So I just want to try to balance that out in some way. Um, Hot tub really stimulates you and it really gets the blood flowing. And so in some cases I think it's really great. In other cases, I think it just, when you get out, you're even more exhausted uh, because of the heat. And so those are kind of my two, uh, my two go-tos right no, away that makes a sense the, and cardio, was- the cardio to stabilize try to stabilize your heart rate right now and like try to get quote-unquote a flush try to wake the body I try to get some lubrication on the joints after you do that foam roll and i think you'll your body will feel a lot better And like even if you still have a little bit of that uh feeling that you feel like you're flying or floating at least we got your joints under control
0: Really interesting. So that's almost like a flush for the system where, you know, maybe you jump on the treadmill for 10 or 20 minutes or the bike or jump rope or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And jump rope would probably be a little bit too impactful for me, but walking, walking uh, walking on a treadmill, doing a movement prep. uh, Oh, so
0: even as low, low intensity as just walking.
1: Yeah. Got
0: it. And will you ever recommend someone to take a nap?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely and it, it all goes into the day and where we're at and where the space is and some guys don't feel comfortable taking naps and some guys whether it's for mental reasons they think they're gonna be judged, which I think we're getting over that in professional sports um, or they just they can't wind down but sitting in a dark room um, wearing some blue light glasses, wearing some red light you know some red yeah, colors, that's cool and just trying to trying to tune out a little bit. And we have to time that perfectly. So, you know, number one, we don't wake you up at the wrong time. And number two, we don't bring you down so much that you can't come back.
0: What do you think's like the optimal amount of time uh, before a game to take a nap if you're going to?
1: Uh, I think it, I, I really think that's going to vary depending on the athlete. Uh, you know, I think there's some guys that probably go through early work and and like to take a nap from two to three and feel like that that's a that's a really good time for them and i think there's some guys that can take a nap as late as five o'clock and when the wake, game's at seven and the game is seven i wake up at yeah. six and feel really good it all kind of depends on where you're at on that day if you're the starting pitcher that day like taking a nap at five o'clock is going to be impossible because there's you have one start every five days like Everything. So you're amped up. Yeah, you're, you're amped up from the time you wake up in the morning. And you're also like, you have to prepare. You have to prepare for the other team. It's so like you're going to be doing that pretty close up until game time, or until you start warming up. So that might be an afternoon guy versus the position player who plays every night and like chills out every night when he comes in at 5 o'clock off the field. And at 5, you take a, you take a short nap and you feel pretty good.
0: Now the diet piece of it, you called out the fact that if someone eats too many carbohydrates in the morning, uh, that might that might concern you from the standpoint of them being uh, a little
1: tired. Yeah, I find, and again, I'm not a dietitian and I don't try to play one, but um, I find it that when we don't sleep, we crave a lot of sugar and we crave a lot of uh, carbohydrates. And, and our body keeps telling us that, especially because our blood sugar spikes and then it falls. So we eat them again and then it spikes and it falls. And we play this vicious game all day long versus like, all right, I had a bad night. I got up, I had my cup of coffee, and I had a nice, like, balanced meal so my blood sugar doesn't get out of whack for the rest of the day.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, leading up to the game, uh, if – If a player's run down on their team, and now we're on your team, and we're talking about maybe an hour or two before the game, are you then comfortable with them starting to bring caffeine back into their system, or in general, uh, do you try to avoid caffeine as a stimulant uh, during athletic play? I mean,
1: uh, it's it's baseball, and we play every day. I'd be lying if I said that caffeine isn't (laughs) a a, a part of it. And I I actually think there's a lot of Anything in that regards will be good as long as you don't abuse it. So if it's the 12th cup of coffee at four o'clock, might have a problem with that. If it's the second caffeinated beverage or third caffeinated beverage we've had all day, like that, I'm that I'm okay with. Um, I just hate the guys that like they've killed their adrenals by four o'clock because they've been so high strung and now ca- totally. caffeine just becomes like placebo at that point. Like I drank my coffee, I drank my. Whatever energy drink, and like, like it's not working. Like you're telling me you've had like you know 1500 or 2000 milligrams of caffeine in you. Like,
0: good luck, yeah, right. Well, I mean, we work with some basketball players, and sometimes they have uh tip offs, I think as late as 9 p.m. maybe. And so, if you're having caffeine and you're tipping off that late, and then you got all the lights of being in the stadium, and I mean that's going to affect your sleep too, even if you are conditioned to be drinking caffeine that late. So it's just another thing to think about.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: Now, where do you stand on uh, nicotine and tobacco? Uh,
1: I mean, I, again, uh, it's probably a uh, it's probably a podcast and its no <laughs> right. uh, you know, we know that we know it has a way of stimulating some guys that use it, and we know the, the the things that it does to the body in the, in the long term. Um, so obviously, we're not—I'm not promoting it. Um, but you know, at the same time, I'm not going to—I'm uh, not going to dive into that one too much with the athletes, unless I feel like it's becoming a big part of you know, tissue recovery or, or something like that. Like we have a lot of people in this game hammering the negative effects of that, uh, and so. You know, for me, in that global picture, making sure they understand the acute and the chronic uh, downside of using chewing tobacco or, or, you know, I don't think there's not a whole lot of guys smoking cigarettes in the game anymore, um, <laughs> but, but uh, definitely letting them know, like, what this potentially could be doing for further recovery.
0: Well, the piece of it that I think is interesting is it's kind of back to the caffeine piece, right, where if the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is you put in a chew and you're just chewing all day, then that's going to affect, you know, that's going to affect your performance over time, I would think, versus if you're doing it right before the game starts, then maybe it's a performance enhancement.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, that's that's totally (laughs) – Totally understandable. Again, I, I find it hard to believe that uh, you could use nicotine as a performance enhancer, but um, I definitely
0: understand where you're coming from. So, you in general, you're skeptical of the concept that it's a performance enhancement. You
1: no, know, I'm not. I'm not skeptical of it necessarily. I just, I don't. I, I think it's fair to say I don't know enough about that side of it to know if it's good or bad for you. But, but intuitively and Based on what you know, older players have told me in the past. I could definitely see that being it. I'm more skeptical of promoting it.
0: So. Yeah. so you're. It sounds like you're somewhat hands off on it. But if it becomes like uh, the twelve cups of caffeine thing, then maybe there's going to be a conversation. Yeah,
1: absolutely, which somebody's probably had with them before then.
0: Right. So. Right. Now, uh, how about travel? How does that fit into the equation? And, and what are some of your favorite maybe tips for the consumer market around how to, how to beat travel? It's one of my favorite questions for podcast guests.
1: Yeah, I think that um, you got to be conscious, especially traveling different time zones and uh, getting adjusted getting adjusted to the time, the time zone as quickly as you can. I think that traveling west to east can be very difficult, especially when you're going through four time zones. Traveling east to west seems to work out uh, in your benefit, but we've still had some guys that, that struggle with that, especially if we've been on the road uh, on the east coast for 10 days. And uh, I think that diet becomes a huge play in that as well. I've read a lot on fasting, traveling right now, and done it myself a few times, traveling overseas, and it's been really beneficial for me uh, when I when I get to wherever I'm going, that I adjust the time zone by having a nice meal and being tired after that. And, and kind of uh, either falling asleep for a long period of time, or if I did sleep on the plane, maybe getting a couple hours of deep sleep, that becomes really helpful. So, um, talk
0: through the fasting piece of that, Brandon. So, you said that you you'll fast before you get on the plane.
1: Uh, I will fast. Or how yeah,
0: long I'll, leading up to it? Um,
1: it? Depending on you know, if it's a twelve or twelve to eighteen hour trip, like I'll I'll try to go the the full twenty four. Uh oh good for you. Without eating and all I'll have is some fat and I'll have some you know, some coconut milk or I'll have some aminos or something like that to keep it going, drink a lot of water. And then uh you know, when I get there then I usually crush and try to fall asleep. And uh, you know, the shorter the shorter trips, um Depending on when I leave again, it could be a 12-hour fast. It could be a 16-hour fast because I didn't. I ate before I left for the airport, and you know that three-hour window of getting to the airport, getting checked in, getting on the plane, and taking off. 12 hours of flight and an hour on the backside. It might be a 16-hour fast, and so I've done it a little bit different. But every time I've noticed, uh, other than just uh, being on an airplane and watching everybody else eat, isn't very fun. But when I get there, I definitely feel like there's a there's a benefit to it. Um, you know, I
0: think so with, other, some, with something ahead. like that, and sorry, we'll come back to this. But with something like that, now that you've seen how this makes you feel, uh, and you've kind of been the guinea pig of it after doing some research on it, will you then, you know, go to a couple of players and say, "Hey, this is this is um, something I tried, and it might work for you if you're having trouble with travel." Yeah.
1: I don't touch that in season too much. I let our dietitians take care of of that side of it because it do. That makes make it, sense. Yeah, it makes it a little risky not understanding how somebody's blood sugar works and how fasting can be tough for some individuals. So yeah, but for for the off season, recommending that they try it every once in a while and seeing if it's good or bad or indifferent, like uh, I think it's helpful. And then when they get in season, then I would feel much more comfortable about having that conversation with them. A lot of this is just personal and definitely anecdotal, but um, you know, I think that uh, I think that at some point professional sports will have to dive into that to see if it's realistic. Uh, now, good luck because plain food is kind of sacred, and in all professional sports, I remember reading articles about Luke Walton, uh, you know, being the uh, acting coach for the the Warriors and then coming over to the Lakers and talking about like peanut butter jelly is absolutely going to be on the plane. <laughs> so there's just some like some sacred, sacred part of that that, that will we'll probably always hold true. But if we are looking at travel as affecting recovery and we're not looking at nutrition as something that can affect travel or be a part of travel, then I don't think we've done far enough as an industry.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense to me, the idea that you've just got all these different factors and you're trying to weigh w- what's the most important. And then you're trying to weigh that for each individual. And again, that goes back to why I think, um, you know, measuring a lot of this empowers you to manage it. Because if you don't know what the effect was on your physiology, it's hard to know that fasting was effective or ineffective, or um, it's just less, It's it's more difficult. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Now, you were saying a couple other things about travel that you think are helpful. Oh, I think movement
1: movement is the most important piece. I'll yeah, that's a that. great
0: point. The, yeah. ang- the ankles and the blood flow that you get from sitting, like getting up every
1: hour, moving around. If you have, you know, if you're a viewer on a private plane or a charter and have access to a little bit of space to get down and do some elbow to instep and some circles, so, you know, some ankle circles, some Kelly Starrett stuff, like, I think that's really important even laying down having your feet up to get that blood to rush out and back up through the body I think is extremely beneficial and it keeps from the stiffness when you get off the plane and, and kind of the full feeling of your lower half when you get off the plane and that can accelerate your recovery and that can accelerate the way you feel the next day whether you know whether you're going on vacation and you want to go walk on the beach and not feel like you're tripping over your your fat toes because they're filled up with blood or, or you're an athlete that needs to get ready to play the next day. Like it's all comparable and, and has some pretty strong parallels in my opinion.
0: Now I've had I've found benefits personally by trying to exercise like closely before the flight or or closely after landing. This is more so for flights that I would say are over six hours or eight hours. So you're talking about a longer duration. Have you found that at all personally or with any of your athletes? The idea of I mean even just doing like 15 minutes on a bike or something I find helps me feel much better when I when I land um, in a new destination.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you, you mobilize. Some physiology and you mobilize some anatomy and, and that can be very helpful. The one thing I usually caution our guys is like going too heavy or working yeah. out too hard and now you're gonna sit for six to eight hours. Um, that is that to me it can be pretty disruptive to the next day. But yeah, by and large, like uh getting guys to move around in the morning before we fly out and move around when we get there is, is definitely gonna accelerate that
0: what are some other recovery modalities that you guys use or you believe in? Um, You know, there's all sorts of different things out there right now, right? Um, Cryotherapy is very popular right now. Um, Contrast therapy is very popular right now. You mentioned foam rolling earlier. Um, Obviously, massage therapy, acupuncture, these have all been things that have been around for the past decade or, or longer. What are some different things that that you believe in or things that you don't believe in. And I guess, obviously this is going to vary a lot by
1: player. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it. I'm not going to dive into anything that we personally do because we feel like we have a, you know, we have a pretty good advantage on the way that we treat our players. Our athletic training staff, therapists are are outstanding, but you know, I I think you can use your imagination and realize from that individual side that we leave no stone unturned. So, um, you know, probably sum it up the best way that we don't, I don't believe, in, I don't believe in anything. I believe in everything.
0: That's smart. So, okay. Um, how about more generally speaking, how will you think about a player who's, you know, in his mid thirties versus a player who's in his early twenties?
1: Yeah. Joints. It, it starts to me with joints. And like guys, like they. Just, they got one time to get ready to go every day. And, uh, you know, young players can kind of, uh, can kind of ramp up and cool off, and ramp up and cool off as as many times as they want to until they reach that reach that certain threshold, whether it's age or innings or at bats. Uh, so you know, with the older players, like trying to get them to time it perfectly and get some good blood flow and get a little bit of uh, some soft tissue in, and maybe let's let's say it's like hip flexors and and glutes and get their hips to free up so their low back doesn't get tight on them. And some movement prep and on with some let's just say it's an easy day, some med ball drills, some rotational drills, and then on your way into the cage and and, and onto the field versus you know, the younger player can get away with like I said earlier, like ramping up and ramping down and lifting a little bit heavier and, and moving around quite a bit. Whereas the the timing for them isn't as important. It's more of the education of what it's gonna be like in a few years that becomes important.
0: Do you find you ever have to manage that sort of like that different um, psychology between the players? Like, you know, obviously you're talking about a very individualized program, and if you've got an older player doing something that's going to take longer or be slower, and you got the younger players doing something that's a bit of a quick hit, like, is there ever a little bit of jarring between uh, the old and the young in that regard? And you're sort of just telling people to stay in their lane.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, the the educated or the experienced athlete to me always tends to remind or uh, let the younger athlete know that they're not going to be able to do that forever. And so there's, there's always that, that old young jab. That's kind of, kind of fun to watch. And then there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a little bit of this, like the young player comes to the big leagues for the first time and they maybe they're playing with their, their hero or the guy that they grew up watching And they they see how long it takes them to get ready every day. And they're like, holy cow, I had no idea. He's putting a full day in just to get on the field, and then he's got to play. And so I never see too much jabbing from younger to older. Uh, It's it's more of like amazement. They're like, wow, that's insane. So, uh, but, you know, and then again, the older guy will remind him, like, you'll be here too one day. Just wait
0: yeah I've found from my interactions with professional athletes in the past few years that it's it seems to me more common for young players to admire the older players who have been able to have those sort of extra honeymoon years, if you will, or you know where where someone's kind of got three more years on their career where maybe everyone else was you know didn't see that coming. Uh, it does seem like something that's a, a, it's a popular moment in sports, and I think the fact that some of the best in their game, like Tom Brady or LeBron James, like, you know, even, even Tiger Woods now coming back from injury, there's, they're setting like a good example around that. Do you notice that culturally as being something that's talked about more? It's just the concept of extending careers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I it's just a little bit of like taking care of the front end uh, and making sure that they don't do too much early on that they can't recover from later on in their career. And and then there's obviously like, yeah, you can take it as far as uh, not eating nightshades or or whatever, (laughs) whatever foods that you don't want to put in your diet. It's pretty well documented that a lot of our guys don't do dairy um, because they feel like it helps them recover better and get rid of inflammation, but but also just taking care of their bodies in the weight room and and, uh, building building up enough stress tolerance for the field that it doesn't break them down.
0: What are, um, what are some supplements that personally uh, you buy into? And it could be related to sleep or it could be related to performance.
1: Yeah, I think the, the one thing that I personally probably buy into most is uh, magnesium. Yeah, that's and a I, good one. I just don't know if I can get enough of it. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, the rest of it, uh, the rest of it's up in there. There's some good stuff on there about Glutamine I and HMB and glucosamine and all that, and I think in the right scenarios it is. But like CalMag is like, well, magnesium in general is like the one thing that that uh, has seemed to uh, give us the most anecdotal recovery, and especially myself. You know, I'll take some I'll take some B vitamins to try to wake up. I've taken some Ritalin in the past to try to calm down. Uh, horizontal manager or whatever idea be has been there. And that's about it. I'm not like creatine and caffeine and beta alanine and all that stuff. But, I mean, listen, I, I know it's great. I just personally am not at that stage in my life that I'm trying to be up there Right. Or I'm trying to trying to find ways to calm down.
0: Describe the experience of being in the World Series a little bit. I mean I imagine that I would think would amplify everyone's um you know that that problem you described of it's it's twelve and we got a game at seven and everyone's amped up. Like, what are you thinking about at that point? I imagine maybe you're amped up too. How are you trying to manage everyone's bodies during uh, what's obviously such a high spotlight time? Yeah, uh,
1: it's about being available. And, yeah, and what I've noticed, and I've only got two. Two years, 12 games to draw on and on those two World Series. And it's about being available because everybody's going to be a little bit different. So it was, uh, it's from a personal level, I just try to wear it. And, and from uh, a professional level, it's just if a guy needs to do something to calm down at 1 a.m., I want to be there for him. Or if they need to wake, if they can't you know, stay asleep and wake up at 6 a.m. and need to move around and do something smart, I'd much rather be there for him.
0: So, so your point of view personally was like I just need to be on call twenty four seven, you know, for for this period of time.
1: Yeah, no, that, uh, that that's probably the best way of describing it.
0: And from a, I guess, uh, a technique standpoint, you're just adapting to um, what the players are going through. Um, I guess what are what are a couple examples of things that that players go through during the World Series? Yeah, no, just I you think, think kind of stress of just- management.
1: Yeah, I think I was just describing it to like some guys that can't sleep, and they and they wake That's up. That's probably
0: the of biggest thing, right?
1: Yeah, and they they need to, or the guys that like get there really really early because it's uh, it's obviously exciting.
0: And yeah, there's, totally. There's a lot of stimulus going on, so just trying to find ways to
1: there's a there's a center balance for all of this. And to me, if I had to describe myself from that standpoint, it's finding balance. So when with all the lights and all the cameras and all the celebrities and all the people and all the interviews and all the you know all the people that want a piece of them, offering them balance, a quiet place, somebody to talk to, a foam roll, a bike, whatever it is, uh, that's what that's what I want to be there to bring them back to the center line and not add to the. Can you sign my ball? Can you sign my back? Can you sign my World Series hat? Not, in my opinion with, with, when there's too
0: much of it yeah i mean that's a very whoop mindset the idea of um you know for all the stress you're putting in your life trying to find recovery to go with it so uh i like that what was your what were your stats like during that time period it sounds like you weren't you were you were necessarily uh as optimized for yourself so it sounds like maybe low recovery
1: yeah depending on um depending on where we were at or how much travel like plane rides i guess, sleep uh and you know, i mix in for I'm, I'm a guy that i can be in the green with four and a half five hours sleep wow and, and so and i think i think the loop's just being nice to me at that point
0: whoop <laughs> um, is not known to be nice it, it's known yeah. to be honest so uh you must yeah. uh you must have figured some things out personally
1: yeah so I, but i can still you know i can still get in the 80s with with four four and a half hours if i take enough uh, magnesium if i eat a good enough diet if i don't get too stressed out if i get a, a solid like not too low not too high intensity workout in, like uh, i can kind of pull it off and yeah the, the world series i am sure it, it looked like a stoplight uh blinking but
0: <laughs> right. um, is is uh meditation something that you do personally or you you've seen players starting to implement
1: no i don't No, not really but i, I do a lot of yoga um yeah more for it's the sweat, breathing. yeah, more for the sweat and the breathing than for actual yoga, which I think that's probably what yoga is—is is for the sweat and for the breathing. But obviously the joint lubrication and mobility and flexibility. But you know, for me, um, for me, just getting in a hot room and, and sweating it out and being able to like get into my diaphragm is, is usually beneficial. And that, that I do see happening. I just don't—I haven't seen meditation really kick on yet. Mm-hmm.
0: So when, when the season ends, do you find that there's a little bit of a crash, like your body sort of uh, crashes after, you know, so much adrenaline for, for, you know, such an intense period of time? Or is it kind of the opposite where maybe now you're relaxed because you're under less stress?
1: Every year has been a little bit different. Um, you know, I think that there's mentally you can let up a little bit. Um, and, and physically, uh, physically, I always describe it as it's never the fall, it's the landing and, uh, your body can be messed up and things can hurt. And while you're falling, you don't feel it. As soon as you hit the ground, you obviously feel it. And, uh, so I think at the end of the year, I'm usually a little bit more sore. I noticed a few more little things about my body that I've kind of just driven through in the past.
0: Now for you personally, um, I, I, am reading here that, uh, at one point you lost 70 pounds in six months. Is that accurate? Yeah, no, it is. Uh, my freshman it's year of college. It's an amazing transformation.
1: Yeah. My, my freshman year of college, uh, was, you know, as a senior in high school, I always wanted to play baseball, but football probably was going to be my ticket and, uh, snapped my ankle and foot on the first day of pads my senior year and you know played on it way too soon and did some things that probably led to some injuries later on in my career but uh, made the decision pretty late that I was going to play baseball and was overweight was was built like offensive lineman and so I didn't really know how to go about it? And I don't know if I was mentally tough enough to go about it. But something about my freshman year of being on my own and you know not not having not having my mom there to rescue me or my my family there and, and I like having to kind of started learning how to fend for myself. Like I really got into fitness. I changed my major to physical education at that point. I really got into running. I really got into I don't I don't want to say eating healthy, but eating less at that point. Um, and it was the first time in my life that I ever sought out something that long-term and was extremely successful with it. And so as much as like from the health benefits that I got from losing all that weight, I think it set me up for the rest of my life from a mental standpoint.
0: Um, what are some uh, influences in, uh, in your life when it comes to uh, health and fitness? And I mean, it sounds to me like you're someone who, you know, likes to learn about about this space and and is trying to continue to evolve. So, what are what are some things that you like to do to to learn more and you know over time maybe develop an edge?
1: Uh, the best continuing edge that I get every offseason is traveling to see players, and so I get to I get like a behind the scenes look of every popular trainer and every popular physical therapist, and uh, really get to dive into them because of my athletes. And so I just, I, I pick things off and some of them are, you know, a better way to train a 22 year old, a better way to train a 35 year old like myself, a better way to talk to my parents about health. Um, and so that that's kind of been my big go-to is getting to meet all these amazing people out there in the field and, and understanding what they, uh, what they do. And then, you know, it's trial and error after that for me personally, like I'm a guy that will do some, not 10 ferris i'm not gonna (laughs) travel around the world uh doing these different things i don't have the time to but i I definitely like that's how i that's how i got into intermittent fasting that's how i've gotten into you know i've tried uh carb loading back loading at at the end of the night i've tried uh keto i've tried uh, zone or atkins or, or all these different diets out there like like if I have a personal perspective on them, it's a lot easier for me to talk about it. Just like you said with the surgery thing, like me going through, extremely yeah. beneficial. Same thing with the diet and
0: stuff. Uh, and it sounds like there's a good culture in baseball about you know around uh, you know around sharing things that are working, or at least you know otherwise you would you probably be less effective traveling around and getting to talk to to players or other coaches on what they're doing.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm all for mentorships. I'm all for continuing ed. I'm all for seminars and courses, and I go to some of them myself. But um, a lot of times, when you go to a course, they're giving you a problem and a solution that only have to do with that course. And so, a lot, of, you know, we need to be able to be adaptable and flexible and take things from those courses and apply them to the field that we're in and the people that we work with. And the goals that we have. And I, I think it's very tough when you go to them sometimes to feel like you can just easily extract that information and dump it into your world. So being able to see other people that have, that have implemented other things and their practice is a much more beneficial thing for me. I'm a visual learner to, to see those things.
0: What's the most uh, relaxing vacation you've ever been on?
1: I don't think I've been on a relaxing vacation. <laughs> uh, uh, no, my, my. you know what? We we went to a player's wedding a few years ago in Cabo. It was just my wife and I. I have two kids, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And uh, that was that was one of the first times that I was able to let go uh, in a long time. And I don't know if I've been able to since, uh, but definitely uh, definitely Cabo was a, was a good one.
0: When you hear the expression optimal performance, who or what comes to mind? Oh,
1: man there's a couple, there's a couple things that, that flash forward chase at least probably the thing that comes to mind the most. Watch him do what he did for so long and to get to see him on the back end and how he prepared and how he, how he was adaptable. That's, that's the person
0: that comes to mind. That's awesome. Well, um, you know, this has been really fascinating, Brandon, if people um, wanted to learn more about your philosophy or um, they wanted to find you, like, is there any, anything online that you'd point them towards or, how can people find you if, if appropriate? Yeah,
1: I'm not a I'm not a big insider, uh, social media guy, uh, but I uh, I'm always open to conversation and questions. My my personal email is uh, bdmac me, bdmac23 at gmail.com. and I'm always open to questions and and thoughts and and concerns and, and great conversation. I, I need to get better. Uh, with the social media. But right now if I have 20 minutes to spend with my kids or my wife or my athletes, I'm, I usually choose that over social media. Uh, but I, definitely <laughs> love, I definitely love, uh, I definitely love chatting, emailing, you know, shadowing, things like that. So uh, the easiest is my personal email.
0: Well, with your permission, we'll put that in the show notes. And um, yeah, this has been awesome and congratulations on all the success that the Dodgers have had recently um congratulations on your success personally growing within the organization and um again we're, we're really thrilled at whoop to, to be working with you guys
1: yeah we, we appreciate it too i appreciate the time and, the, and this was great i i uh i liked it it was of the podcast i've done you yes some really challenging questions and uh actually made me dive in and think about some of the stuff we're doing so you know keep the wheels spinning for a while
0: Uh, Well, I appreciate that, man, and and I'm sure our audience uh, learned a lot from it as well.
1: Great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks again to Brandon for coming on the show. It was great to be able to share some insight into how an elite professional team finds value in Whoop, and thanks again to our client, the Dodgers, for letting us do this. If you're not already a member, you can join the Whoop community now for as low as $18 a month. We'll provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, and more. The membership comes with a free WhoopStrap 2.0. And for listening to this podcast, folks, if you enter the code WILLAHMED, that's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, at checkout, we'll give you 30 bucks off. So Thank you for listening. Put 30 bucks on my tab, get that free month, and hopefully you enjoy Whoop. For our European customers, the code is Will Ahmed, E-U. Just tack E-U on the end of my name, and that'll get you 30 euros off when you join. Check out whoop.com slash the locker for show notes and more, including links to relevant topics from our conversation. You can subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you found this podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed and follow at whoop.com on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also email thelocker at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions. For our current members, we've got a lot of new gear in the Whoop store. I suggest you check that out. It includes 6, 12, and 18-month gift cards, help you save over time. We've got new bands, new colors, new textures. Visit
1: whoop.com for more. Thank you again for listening to the Whoop podcast. We'll see you next week.